You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. If you've got a church Bible, you'll find it on page 160. 160. Deuteronomy 10 and from verse 12. And now Israel... What does the Lord God ask of you except to fear the Lord your guide by walking in his ways, to love him, to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Keep the Lord's commands and statues I'm giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your fathers and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all of the peoples as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien, since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. You are to fear the Lord your God and to worship him, remain faithful to him and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awe-inspiring works your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 people in all, and now the Lord your God has made you numerous like the stars in the sky. A second reading from the Gospel of Mark. On page um, 900 of your books, 900, Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is the one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is far more important than all the bird offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good morning. It's really wonderful to be here with you all today. Um, yeah, I've come over from Box Hill this morning um, and I've got three small kids, so they were all jumping around me this morning and, and asking if they could come, but um, they, they were keen also to go to their Sunday school, so they've stayed home today. <laughs> well, as, um, as we start today, I'm gonna give you, before we dive into refugees as an issue, um, I'm gonna give you quite a bit of context and background, so hang on, it's coming, but it's important that we go for the journey. Um, put the first slide up, thank you. And the next one. This is um, kind of like a bit like a, a life verse for me, I guess. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Um, for the past 25 years, I've been uh, living and working amongst refugees and asylum seekers both here in Melbourne, um, but almost, um, also for almost a decade um, throughout Africa, in Kenya and South Africa. And these are the verses, this is the, that has really anchored me, I guess, and helped me focus on what it is that I should be doing and how I should be living. Um, it's, um, as we gather together, I, I pray this morning that this will be a real blessing to you in how you can love your communities around you and have a better understanding of things facing refugees. So let me pray as we, we get going. Loving God, thank you so much for this vibrant community here in Caroline Springs. Thank you for their love and for their faithfulness. And we pray, Lord, for each of us today that you would be here by your spirit, moving amongst us, opening our hearts to be changed by you today, Lord, so that we might have a heart after your own heart. Amen. So the reading we had today from Deuteronomy, um, the whole book of Deuteronomy has a really special concern for these themes of the marginalized and the vulnerable, the orphan, the refugee. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, there's a reprise, and the reprise is choose life. Know your identity. Know who you are and how you should act. Next slide. So finding practical ways to keep God's word always before us and to not forget who God is. And it's this word, Shema. And it's a whole of life, love for God, obedience and service and devotion to God. The origin of this great commandment to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself is this Jewish Shema. It's a call to hear God's command to love and for this love to infuse every single part of our lives. In all of the interactions we have at home, with those we invite into our lives and even the wider community around us. It's a call for us to live spiritually conspicuous lives. 
intentionally sharing our faith in Jesus. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? Only to fear the Lord and to walk in all of his ways. To love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. Um, in these two small verses, we find a summary of what it is that God requires of us. Firstly, we're to fear the Lord, not as in be terrified and scared of him, but rather to treat God as holy and powerful as he is. Secondly, we're to walk in his ways, follow him, imitate him, obey him, structure our lives around him and the things that God honours and values. Three, we're to love God in that holistic sense of love and devotion and service. Serve God, worship him with all of our lives, but also seeking out what it is that really matters to God and be co-creators with Christ in all that God is doing in the world. And fifthly, observe God's commands. Heed, obey, keep the laws. And this is a great summary of Shema, encapsulating what God requires of us. It's our whole life love of God and devotion to him. Now, one could be forgiven, as, as I read out that list, um, for balking a bit and thinking, huh, that sounds a bit arrogant, it's a bit narcissistic. Fear me, follow me, love me, serve me, obey me. Well, these commands in isolation could be interpreted like that. But there are two things that stop them from being cult-like instructions. And one of those things is the whole context, the fact that it's embedded in God's larger story of him loving his people, faithfully loving them and reaching out to them. And secondly, are the verses that come immediately after those, verses 14 and 15. Although heaven and earth and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord our God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone, and he chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. So yes, God is all-powerful. He is a creator God, and everything was made by him and belongs to him, and he is a God beyond compare in beauty and majesty, and yet... Despite this, he chose to set his heart in love on our ancestors and on us. And he chose to love us. So there's actually nothing distant or removed about this all-powerful God. From the beginning, he chose to interact and relate and love his people. So God, God's call to us in verse 16 is this. 
Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. Well, this is a clear reference to the Jewish practice of circumcision where males cut the foreskin as a physical sign of their allegiance to God and membership of his family. But here they are being called to circumcise the foreskin of their hearts. So it's not just a physical sign, but it's a person's identity, our allegiance, our values, where we belong and to whom we belong, that should be obvious to others by the way that we live, the choices we make and the, the love that we have for God and the love that we have for our neighbours. Not just because God commands it, but because he is worthy. Verses 17 and 18, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the strangers, the refugees, providing them with food and clothing. So this is what our God is like. It's a pretty gobsmacking description, isn't it? After his power, the primary descriptor of God is a God of deep compassion, a God of justice, a God of love, and a God of provision. And so verse 19 says, you shall also love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God chose to pour out his grace and love on our ancestors because they themselves were refugees in Egypt at the time. He showed them mercy, he cared for them and as recipients of that grace and love and care, we are called to do exactly the same thing for those who find themselves as refugees in our land. So as much as this passage describes Shema, how we are supposed to live, it also introduces this important concept of Shalom. Shema and Shalom, they go hand in hand. One cannot breathe without the other. They have to go together. And I would go so far as to say that we find deep joy and meaning and purpose in our lives and we bring the most honour to God when our Shema, our whole life love of God, brings Shalom into the world. So for non-Hebrew speakers amongst us, including myself, let me explain Shalom. I'll give you a picture of it. So for a number of years, I lived and worked in South Africa and I did a trauma healing ministry. And it was largely amongst refugees who had come from all across the continent. And yeah, they would come together. And as a part of this program, we also went into schools and we worked with year nine students. <laughs> Any of you who are teachers or parents will understand how challenging that can be. Um, and we ran these programs in the schools to help people understand the apartheid, the segregation history of South Africa and how it had impacted and still impacts life to this day in that country. So one of these days I went into a township school and this school 
and these are their terms, not mine, um, consisted of white students, black students, and coloured students, who was everybody in between. Um, and I gave them an assignment. And the assignment was that they had to go home and interview a grandparent or somebody in their community who had lived during the apartheid years. And then they had to come back and present that as a talk to the class. So off they went and they came back the next day and Vusi was a young Zulu student. He got up very bravely to go first. He stood and he started to share the story of his grandmother. His grandmother had told him that the apartheid soldiers had broken into their house, had dragged them outside, they had raped her before killing her husband before, before her eyes. As he, he didn't get very far into the story before he totally choked up and just walked out of the room. Now, the class was silent. They were all choked up with emotion. Vusi made three attempts to come back to the front of the class and to continue the story, but each time he got choked up and he left. And, and on it went. All the students had their heads bowed. The, the feeling in the room was absolutely palpable and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Finally, Vusi found the courage within himself to come and finish his story. He sat down, uh, the emotion was heavy in the room. And during the break, a young white student, Daniel, came up to me and said, Miss, I can't, I can't do my talk. And I said, why not? And I, I was maybe a little bit cynical because Daniel had caused a lot of trouble all week and I thought he was just trying to get out of his homework. But he unfurled a newspaper clipping and this newspaper clipping was of a big photograph of his grandfather firing into a black crowd. And he said, this is my grandfather, the man with the gun. And he said, I can't, I can't get up there and tell them this. Well, I could see his anguish. But I encouraged him that he is not his grandfather, and that for the sake of everybody's understanding and where everybody, understanding where everyone has come from and all of our influences and our history, it was important that he shared his story too. I could see he was clearly terrified, but good on him, he agreed to do it. So after break, Daniel stood up in front of the class. He unfurled his newspaper photograph which was met by angry cursing from students in the class. And in a soft voice, Daniel said, I interviewed my grandfather. I love my grandfather, but I am not proud of what he did. Some students started to throw balls of paper at him. Uh, the tension in the room was explosive. 
And then something miraculous happened. Vusi stood up and he walked to the front of the room and he put his arm around Daniel's shoulder. And Daniel started weeping and Vusi started weeping and they stood weeping on the stage. The rest of the class fell silent immediately. Many joined them in their tears. Nothing further needed to be said. Vusi's actions and the tears that followed from them both and the rest of the class was a beautiful picture of grace, forgiveness and restoration or the beginnings of. It was a picture of shalom. Next slide, Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22 that we read. Love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep, obey his commands, serve God. So what does it look like to love God, to walk in his ways, to follow him and obey him? The next slide. I think the next couple will just read through these verses. And the next one. Deuteronomy 10, 18 and 19. God who executes justice for the orphan and the widow. Yeah, next slide. Thanks. Who loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the strangers, for you were the strangers in the land of Egypt. And the next one, Leviticus 19.34, when an alien lives with you in the land, love them as yourself. And Mark chapter 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jeremiah 9.24, let him who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the one who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. And a famous one, Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. John 14, verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. This is life. This is the way of the Lord. This is what it means to follow God and to choose him. This is the picture that God paints for us of shalom. You see, it's not enough for our devotion to be expressed merely expressed to God. These two clauses are linked. One cannot survive without the other. Love God and love neighbor. Neither can breathe without the other. 
If you claim to love God but hate your neighbour, the love of God is not in you. At its most basic, the Hebrew shalom is a picture of life in all of its fullness and abundance. It's that sense of wholeness and health and peace and safety. It's the way things ought to be. Restoration of broken relationships, being in right relationship with God, with each other, with the earth, it's Daniel and Vusi being able to tell their stories, to hear each other and to cry together. It's reaching out to right wrongs. But it's more than just an absence of suffering and tears. Shalom is an active thing. When I worked in South Africa, there was a word that really captured my heart and, and it's called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means I am because you are, and you are because I am. And the whole idea of it is that none of us can be completely who God created us to be while another person is suffering or without or in need. We cannot be fully whole. We cannot be fully human. We're all interconnected. And I love it in today's passage in Deuteronomy, verse 13 says, Keep the decrees I am commanding you, hear this, for your own well-being. It's not just an idea that's out there, it's for our well-being. God has designed us that way. We are all a part of one another. While even one person is being denied the right, to be fully who God created them to be, while even one is not given the opportunity to live and flourish, then none of us can do so. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what's so amazing, that the God of shalom, the God of justice and wholeness and peace, he asks us, you and me, to work out with him what this shalom, what this new world looks like. John 14, that we read, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. Can you believe it? We're given the same work to do as Jesus. And his proclamation for ministry is in Luke 4, 18. It's the good news, the gospel. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Shalom. Word and action together, not one without the other. And this is what brings life in all of its fullness. So we don't have to look very far to see that this is not the way the world looks right now, does it? It's not the way that we operate. The next slide, thanks. The latest statistics from the, the United Nations reveal that there are now over 100 million people who have been forcibly removed from their homes by persecution or war or human rights violations and increasingly by climate catastrophe. That is, one in every 78 people 
on earth. It's a global crisis. And next slide. If all the displaced people on earth were gathered together to make up one country, they would be the 14th most populous nation on earth. And next, while the world's richest countries, including Australia, host a mere 17% of the world's refugees, developing countries, often the ones next door to the places uh, people flee, they're the least resourced to host these people, but they um, host the majority of the world's refugees. And next one. And children. While only 30% of the world's population, they make up 42% of all displaced peoples. So we just need to look around us to see that we don't live in this state of shalom. But we do see glimpses of it. And that's where we come into it. That's where the church shines. Many of you would have followed the Home to Billow campaign. Priya and Nadis, uh, Tamil asylum seekers who fled war and persecution in Sri Lanka. And they, along with their two daughters, Tharunika and Kopika, um, were not long ago, earlier this year, released from community detention after four long years. In detention centres, including being the only people imprisoned on Christmas Island. It's a situation they described as painfully lonely and um, heartbreaking for them. Their release from detention and their return home to their country community of Biloela in Queensland is in no small part due to years of protest and advocacy and unrelenting pressure people like you and I have applied to the government. Regular marches for refugee freedom have become a part of the fabric of our landscape across Australia. It's sad that they have had to, but I am also encouraged because it gives normal people like you and I the opportunity to raise our voices for justice, for what is right, for a better world. And for the many of people of faith that were involved in this campaign and much other advocacy on behalf of refugees, it's been an opportunity for them to live out their Shema, the call to love, and their call to bring about Shalom, God's justice. Next slide. And whatever your political persuasion, these photos of Prime Minister Anthony Albanese embracing this family and welcoming them, well, that's the response that the majority of Australians wanted to have for this family. And it's, it's a God response in terms of it was welcoming, embracing, sheltering, and providing. Now, this family is just one example but this is how God is calling us to respond. This is what God requires of us. We do see Shalom breaking into earth wherever his people are, where his people are loving God and walking in his ways. We see Shalom break into earth when people choose life and choose to actively understand each other and to forgive and to love. So seek it out be co-creators with God of this new heaven and this new earth. Much of the work that I do is walking alongside 
churches like yourselves, to discern where and how God would have us love our neighbours, and particularly the refugees around us. Uh, to use the resources and gifts and skills and passions that you already have amongst you so that you can be a people of welcome and blessing to those who have come here to seek safety, to offer them shalom. Week by week, members of a church right here in Melbourne live out this love of God in their lives. They've been caring for a young Afghan evacuee who was a member of the Afghan women's national soccer team. She came here a year ago when the Taliban took over Afghanistan. Uh, she needed surgery, so every week, members of this church faithfully take her backwards and forwards to physio appointments and doctor's appointments, and, and they have just embraced her, stepping out of their comfort zones uh, to care for this young woman who speaks no English and to be her family as she is here alone. Others pour their generosity into material aid to clothe and help set up homes for other Afghans who arrived here with nothing. During lockdown last year when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban, it was a prime example of the church loving in action. 2,000 of those evacuated from Afghanistan arrived in Melbourne. And it was the middle of lockdown, right? So logistics were stalled, all the services were strained. It was the church who clothed and fed these refugee families in their first few weeks in the country. People across the country knit blankets and beanies, which means that at the beginning of winter every year, every refugee family has a brand new beautiful blanket. And others have been tirelessly teaching English to asylum seekers for a decade. I'm working on a project right now called the Welcome Home Project. And our aim with the Welcome Home Project is to roll out the Community Refugee Support Program. And that means ordinary people like you and me can form little welcome home groups and we can welcome a refugee family that the UNHCR selects from the most vulnerable around the world. And we meet them at the airport and for their first 12 months in the country, we care for them. We organise all their settlement issues, the things the government settlement agencies would usually do. But because the community gets involved, it means the government can increase the intake of refugees. And some of these people who are in the most need can experience that welcoming embrace and a tiny taste of God's shalom. And it goes on and on. There's so many examples. But this is a glimpse of the church catching that vision of what God's shalom could look like and how we can all be a part of it, how we can live out our shema. And this is how this passage finishes in Deuteronomy. It finishes how it began. You shall fear God, worship him, hold fast to him. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these awesome things that have been witnessed. Our God is so worthy. So this is my challenge and my encouragement for all of us today. In what unique ways has God shaped each of us here? Our experiences, our upbringing, our skills, our passions, our desires. God wants to use all of it. 
our families, our communities. And remember that shaping happens through the tough and painful things that happen to us as well, not just through the good stuff. And what are we doing that allows for fullness of life, life in all of its abundance, that provides opportunities for ourselves, our communities, and others to be all that God has created us to be. Living out our call to love, Shema, to bring about life in all of its abundance, Shalom. Thank you.